Tavinu Malkenu, our Father and our King. We have to envision Hashem with both of these attributes, for He is a King over all creation, but also He is our Father who loves His children. Too much emphasis on God as King, and we feel like unloved, distant servants. And too much emphasis on God as Father, and we become too casual, too familiar to show proper respect and awe. So there's a balance. In Islam, there is no concept of God as Father. I was getting coffee with a, a Muslim acquaintance of mine. He does a lot of interfaith dialogues, and he told me that he once translated the um, Our Father prayer. It's commonly called the Lord's Prayer or the, the Messiah's Prayer. It's the one that, that Lewis uh, likes to do at the end of uh, the, the canting. And uh, so this Muslim man, he, he translated this into Arabic, but he told me he wasn't really comfortable with the first part. And in the King James English, it reads, we probably know it by heart, our Father who art in heaven, etc., etc. And the understanding in Islam is that God is too infinite to be intimate, too distant, and too all-powerful to be tender, to be close. There is no concept of God as a father in Islam, just Malkinu, just king. But Hashem, the God of the scriptures, he is both. There are some who focus too much on the Malkenu part. Now, we are to have a reverent awe of God. He is our ultimate judge and the one who directs our path. But we are not to be afraid of him. Sometimes we think if we make a mistake, if we struggle with a particular sin, that the king of kings is going to reject us. But God's love it's a no-matter-what love, like the love of a good father. A good father on the earth, he's going to love his kids no matter what. No matter what. When I was growing up, if I got a bad grade, I knew my dad would still love me. If I threw a temper tantrum, I knew my dad would still love me. No matter what love makes us secure. It makes us safe confident. It actually helps us to grow. It's his kindness, his no matter what love that leads to repentance. Guilt is not going to get you there. Shame is not going to bring repentance and renewal. Fear of punishment from an angry king isn't going to turn our lives around. But the father's love, that will Turn to someone next to you and tell them, your heavenly father, I can't hear you guys, your heavenly father has a no matter what love for you. Tell somebody else. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right, all right, don't get carried away now. Ay, ay, ay. You know, as a new husband, I did a lot of things that were surprising to my wife. Apparently, I had this habit of leaving drawers open. 
As in, I would go into a cabinet and get what I needed and just leave the drawer open, which obviously is a potential walking hazard. And this, this will not do, all right? But my wife, my wife has a no matter what love for me. And that kind of love makes you feel secure. So when she would ask, ask me, please, please, babe, remember to close the drawers. And I would start to feel bad because I made the same mistake over and over. I would remember, I remember that love and I would feel empowered to do better. And my wife always reiterates this kind of love. Even if I leave the toilet seat up and she almost falls in, or if I leave a drawer open, or if I only wash half the dishes, she loves me no matter what. And she always reminds me of that. And that, beloved, is how our Heavenly Father loves us. God is relational. He is not distant. We are part of his family. When Avram became Avraham in Genesis 17, we understand that not just his name changed, his identity changed. He went from Avram, great father, to Avraham, father of many, father of families. He got an additional hey in his name, as in the Hebrew letter hey, the one that makes the H sound. You know what I'm talking about? So in the Hebrew text, this is the only difference between Avram and Avraham. Do we have a picture of that? Do you see? So there's Avram at the top, and he became Avraham. What's the only thing that's extra? The hay, right? Sarai was changed to Sarah. She also got a hay. That, that's the, the letter, the, the letter hay. <laughs> the rabbis believed, traditionally this is interpreted, that the name or identity of God rested on them. And why is that? Because the hey could stand for Hashem, which means the name, the name of God. So therefore, we could say that God's name, his identity, that's what made Avram into Avraham, a father of many. Where does Avraham get a fatherhood identity? From his father in heaven. Avinu Shebashamayim. And this is why it says in Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 15, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name or its identity. The Greek word in verse 14 here is patera, and the Greek word for family is patria. So there's a play on words in the Greek text. So every patria, family, gets their name, their identity, from the patera, the father, who is God. In other words, God is inherently relational. And any system which sets God as this distant autocrat is unbiblical and untrue. He is our father. And we derive our very names, our very identities, just as Avraham did in relation to him. 
and in this context. So new? So why is it important that God be our Father? Well, for one, it's a question of motivation. How many of us have bad habits that we, we just want to break? How many of us make the same mistakes over and over and can't seem to break free? What is going to free us from these cycles and make us feel secure in our relationship with our Father in heaven? Is it fear or love? Is it guilt or love? Is it shame or love? Love, fatherly love, is the foundation for motivating us to follow God. And not just any love. What kind of love? No matter what love. Amen. But what of those who imagine that God is merely a father and fail to recognize him as king? It's hard for us sometimes to understand God's judgment, his severity, his authority. Yes, God is always going to love us, but that doesn't mean his love gives us the leeway to do whatever we want. He is also the king. He's the boss. He's the commander-in-chief. Amen? He's the holy one, the ancient of days. He's the great I am, the Aleph and the Tav. He's God most high and exalted. He is master of the universe, ruler of heaven and earth, God over Israel and the nations. This is no mamby-pamby dad we're talking about here. Avinu, our father, and Malkinu, our king. You know, back in the days of the judges, scripture keeps repeating that Israel had no king. This was the days before King Saul and David and Solomon. And everyone just kind of did whatever they wanted. But eventually, the people started interacting with all these other people groups in Canaan. And all of them, they had a king. So Israel, they decided, well, we want to be like them. So this is what they say to Shmuel, Samuel, the prophet, in 1 Samuel 8, verses 4 through 7. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now, appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, Samuel, but they have rejected me as their king. They rejected God as their king. Of course, we know the people got what they wanted. They got the wonderful Amazing King Saul. Why are we laughing? Yeah, not a good choice, right? But wait a minute. Let's go back. Remember the text says they already had a king whom they rejected. God. God was supposed to be their king. But where do we get this idea? Back in the ancient Near East, there were treaties that kings could make. 
They're called suzerainty or Hittite treaties. And this would happen when a king would conquer a group of people and then he would write down an agreement, kind of like a covenant. And these treaties typically had five parts. Number one, the intro, identifying the king and his title. Number two, the history of the king with the conquered people, usually highlighting all the good things that the king had done and uh, establishing that he, he, he would be a good ruler because he did so many great things. Number three, stipulations. What the people had to do now, that they were the king's conquered people. Number four, blessings and curses. If the people follow the stipulations of the king or didn't. And finally, there were two copies of this agreement made for one for the king and one for the people so they could always reference it. Most biblical scholars identify a strong connection between the book of Deuteronomy and the Torah as a whole and these treaties. Let's, do you, did you see the connections as I was reading them? All right, so let's, let's take a look. God identifies himself in Deuteronomy. He says, I am yud Vavhe, vav he, I am Adonai. And then God tells, number two, God tells us what he did for us. You know, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And number three, he gives us stipulations, which is what? The Torah. That's the Torah. This is how you are to live now that you're my people, and I have brought you out of the land of Egypt, and I am Adonai. And number four, you have the blessings and the curses. He says, if you remember my words and do them, the diseases of the Egyptians will not cling to you, and you'll have abundant harvests, and things will go well. But if not, you know the rest. And number five, the two copies. Now, it was said that Moses wrote the commandments on two tablets. And most of the time when we see a picture of this, what do we see? Five on one and five on the other. But if we're following the pattern, what would we see? All 10 commandments on one and all 10 commandments on the other tablet. Why is that? Because there were two copies, one for the king, Adonai, and one for the people. And where were the copies kept? In the place where the king and the people met. That would be in the tabernacle, under the mercy seat, which is the throne of the great king, Hashem. So if scripture is God-breathed, which we believe it is, why would the writer, most likely Moses, use this ancient form of a Hittite treaty in Scripture? Because the form of the Scripture is pointing towards something. God is your king. This is not paternal language here. God has already been established as a father, a creator in Genesis. And here we're seeing more of this other side which is also true. He is Malkana, our king. The king, the king rescued us from Egypt. The king gave us his Torah, his instruction, so that we could follow and trust and obey him. The king of kings, the lord of lords, told us the consequences and rewards for disregarding or remembering 
his Torah, whichever we chose. When we worship God, we often recall his kingly attributes. Describing the worship of God in heaven by the angels, John writes in the book of Revelation, or unveiling, in verse 11 and 12 of chapter 7. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, let's say this together, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Let's say that again, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So how can we respond to this theology of Avinu Malkinu, our father and our king? My sense is that it may involve some reflection. We have to ask ourselves to adjust, perhaps, our image of God to reflect the fullness of who he really is. If we're lacking in respect and awe, perhaps we need to worship him and understand he's our king, Malkinu. And if we're afraid to approach his throne of grace, perhaps we need to understand him more as the kind, loving father that he is. So let's make this adjustment in our hearts so that we can worship God as he truly is, Avinu Malkinu, our father and our king. Let's pursue God in this way. Let's trust in his fatherly and kingly love. Because if he has a no matter what love for us, shouldn't we have a no matter what love for him? Amen? Let's pray. Avinu Malkana, our Father and our King, thank you that you are full of love and you are almost beyond description. But we want to know you. We don't want to just be able to describe you or, or say this is what you're like, Lord. We want to know you. We want to know your love. We want to know you as king, the king of our hearts, as we sang. We want to know you as our father who has a no matter what love for us, that you would develop in us a no matter what love for you. Develop in our hearts a trust, a trust that cannot be shaken, a trust in your love and your direction, oh God, your kingship, your authority, and your fatherly compassion that we would be secure in our identity and that we would walk with you in freedom and holiness. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.